Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming into you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, and I have Rahul here from Connecticut. Hey, Rahul, how are you? I'm good, Jackie. How are you? I'm doing well, my friend. I hear you have some exciting news for us from the ladies of Chelsea Football Club. Yes, I do. And, and we're talking about the history makers. Uh, this team has now gone 32 games unbeaten after their most recent win against Aston Villa. And that is a record in the Women's Super League. So massive, massive congratulations to the whole squad, Emma Hayes, the manager and everyone involved in the day to day running of the squad. Yeah, absolutely exciting. I love it when Chelsea breaks records, and it's always exciting to talk about the Women's League. It's amazing to see what we've been doing re uh, recently. It definitely has been, and I'm, I'm glad that we've been able to be a part of this recently with, with the games being televised in the U.S. So just a quick few facts about their undefeated run. Their last defeat in the league was exactly two years ago on January 27th, to Birmingham City, and since then they've won 25 games and drawn seven. So there's some serious character and 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 you know just the willingness to not drop points. Yeah, I love when we have a team that has that much steel through it. It's That's always yeah, always exciting to see. So absolutely, absolutely exciting. Yep, and so just a, a few memorable. Results from this run, they drew 2-2 to City right after that Birmingham City loss and then beat Spurs 1-0 to open the 19-20 season at the Bridge, which was a beautiful goal from Beth England. A 1-0 win against Manchester United, which was the first ever meeting between these two massive clubs. An 8-0 win against West Ham, a 3-0 win against Manchester City. And most recently, we'd actually spoken about this game a few episodes ago, was a 1-1 draw against Arsenal, in which they scored the equal equalizer right at the end of the game. Yeah, it's always amazing to see the results. It's not just winning, right? It's having those exciting games and the number of goals we score, which is always amazing. But I think you need to talk a little bit about Emma Hayes here. Definitely. She's been at Chelsea for eight years and and the consistency, the character, the steel, like you mentioned, that she's instilled in this squad has been very crucial to uh, this run and, and the number of titles that she's won. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of the time, players get a lot of the credit, which rightly so, they 100% deserve it. But I think in this particular case, having a manager that's been there for so long and stabilized ship, just like we talked about in previous episodes, is something that's very, very admirable. And in another side of this news, I'm always jealous of the stats and the facts that you bring to the to the table. So I've gone out and done a little bit of research on Emma Hayes, and I want to give you guys a little bit of synopsis on her. So Emma Hayes is a British woman. She has been with Chelsea now eight years, like Rahul has said, but she didn't actually start her career in England she actually found her way over to Long Island Lady Riders, where she was manager there for a couple of seasons. They were non-professional. She then moved on to Iona College out of Rochelle, New York, New Rochelle, New York, which is also 
in the United States. So if our American fans out here, she's got some time and she spent over here. So that's amazing. Then she did a little bit of a stab in the back and joined the Arsenal ladies for as the assistant coach for a couple of seasons and then bounced back over to Chicago Red Stars. She was there for a couple of seasons and then she came over to Chelsea and she settled there since. So absolutely exciting to see that. Those are some great insights into Emma Hayes and, and her career. New Rochelle's actually just about 20 minutes down the road from me. So Wow, maybe we, you'll see her one day. <laughs> yeah, maybe or maybe we bumped into each other at one point. But either way, that's that's some great insight that you've brought and, and history on and Emma Hayes. And again, congratulations to her and, and the squad and, and the club in, in, in general as well. They sit top of the table with a game in hand on second place, Manchester United. And this weekend, they host Tottenham on Sunday and so the women will be playing on Sunday and so will be the men so it's going to be another blue day and I hope we get two wins out of two yeah good luck to our ladies out there I hope they continue in this fine form and just keep going down this path absolutely so that's the the quick update and 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 highlight of the women's squad there's been a lot going on on the other side as well this week so Jackie let's jump into the men's team and for those that may not have heard, you may have been totally isolated, living under a rock. Uh, Chelsea have a new head coach, manager, and it is Thomas Tuchel. I'm glad you said his name first because I struggled in the previous episode to say his name. I, I always struggle with last names, but good. So Thomas Tuchel. Okay, great to know. So we signed this contract of 18 months. He comes in right after the sacking of our dear Frank Lampard. We are slowly, slowly getting over it. It's going to take some time. But just before we get into all the details and the you know the first team he put out for Wolves, Rahul, I want to get your opinion on some of his interviews that went down. What did you think of how he handled the press, how he communicates, how he kind of talks about the players and things like that? He's been very professional, respectful, and friendly so far and, and knowledgeable is another and another trait that I've been, I've seen from him and everything that he's done so far has been classy in in terms of you know paying respects to Lampard and 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 the work that he had done and mentioning some of the players that were key fixtures during the Lampard era and in even bringing the experienced players back in I think he's he's doing everything and and saying everything that pulls everyone in in the same direction so it's been it's been good to see and and uh, a, a manager who speaks very good english is always a positive before we jump into the players he brought back in for wolves i do want to say i completely agree on the fact that yes he brought back in these experienced players and whatnot but during his interviews he talked very very highly of the youth and very highly of lampard and in fact there's news that lampard sent him a personal message wishing him all the best, which is always nice to see because you always wonder what happens when a team parts ways with a manager and it's kind of in bad blood or not. It, no, it actually ended up fine. Everybody understands what's going on. And I agree with you on the fact that he speaks very eloquently. He seems to understand how to control the press and how to absorb the pressure. In fact, going as far as saying, why did you come to Chelsea? Well, why not? I came to Chelsea to win things. Well, you know, there's a high turnover in this in this particular position. Yes, it's understood. We're here to win things. So it's always interesting to see that he's ready, he's motivated, he's moving. And I think some of the players who you and I have criticized on this podcast, uh, 
may actually come through and understand this guy's not here to play. He's here to win things. We need to step up our game. 100%. And and just to touch back quickly on, on Frank Lampard and Jody Morris, I think they both obviously must be sad of their sacking, but I think Lampard sending the message and, and Jody Morris putting out a message thanking Roman and Marina shows that there isn't bad blood between uh, the two of them and the club. And I'm sure sometime in the future, like we said, they'll come back. So it's good to see them supporting and, and, and wishing well to the new coaching staff. And, and you're right. Tuchel's been absolutely uh, clear with what he wants to do with the club and, and trying to get the players and fans and the board pulling in the same direction. So I wish him the best and I hope he does it because like we've been saying on Instagram all week, his success is our success. And, and even though we're devastated by the Lampard news, we've got to support Tuchel because it's no fault of his, the situation he's been put in. Yeah. And he actually stated that, that this isn't his fault. The club made that very clear that they weren't hiring Tuchel to let go of Frank. It was actually kind of an opportune moment and Tuchel got this opportunity but you mentioned the word success. So speaking of success, can you tell me a little bit about, and I know you've said this in the previous podcast, but can you tell me a little bit about some of the trophies and success that Tuchel himself has had? He's been he's been pretty successful in his uh, three different jobs he's held. So he's worked at Mainz in Germany. He's worked at Dortmund, also in Germany, in the Bundesliga. And then he moved to PSG in Liga 1. And he won the German Cup with Dortmund in 2016-17. He's won the league in, in France with PSG uh, two consecutive years. He's won the League Cup version of the, of the um, French Cup in 1920. He won the FA Cup version in France in 1920 as well. And then he's won the Community Shield version of um, in France in two consecutive years as well. So that's a, a total of seven trophies. Uh, and, you know, most of those were with PSG, but he has the experience. He has the winning mentality. And you and people may say, well, he had all the all the best players at PSG, but to get them all pulling in the same direction, playing the way you want them to and, and executing your tactics still takes a character and a leader. So definitely he has those those abilities and, and potential to, to put a winning team together. Of course. And I think that makes sense because you've got a quality squad, but Chelsea have, don't have a, a bad squad by any means necessary. And in fact, I want to lead into that by saying a lot of his interviews, he praised heavily players like Kante, who he apparently has been pursuing for years at PSG. So that's always interesting. He heaped praise upon Cesar Azpilicueta, saying that he's a model professional. He said he admires Giroud. So you know that he's been following Chelsea. You know that he considers these players quality, which is what he dealt with in PSG. You know that PSG also had big names that come with maybe egos. Obviously, Chelsea players also come with egos. So I know that in previous podcasts and some things you've said to me, he wasn't your first choice, but he's here. He seems to have a good demeanor about him. So I think we could have the making of something beautiful, at least for the next 18 months which is going to be uh, an interesting 18 months together with Tuchel. So we'll see how that plays out. Absolutely. And, and I have a question for you in the 18 months. So usually when we bring in a coach mid-season, it's someone it's a stopgap kind of approach and, and it's to get us to the end of the season. But this may be the first time in a very long time we've brought in a, a coach with a lot of history, with a lot of experience to mid-season. 
And giving him an 18-month contract, do you think that is smart of Chelsea? Or is this where they're still unsure as a board and, and think, let's just give it 18 months and see where it goes? For the first time in our tumultuous history of firing and hiring managers, I do actually think it's a smart move. Because on the previous podcast, if you haven't listened, that was a great episode because we actually had Alex on there from Pulisic FC 22. Really, really great discussion. Actually stated, what is the cost of firing or ending ways with a manager? And I did a little bit of research. In in Roman Abramovich's time, since we've been firing managers, we've actually spent or paid out, is probably the right term, over $110 million. Let me repeat that, 110 million pounds in severance fees, for lack of a better term. So 18 months to me makes sense because you're going to finish out the season for six months, and then you give them a full year. Just like you've promised many managers, you get a full year to show us what you can do. And that at that point, if you have to unfortunately terminate them in six months in that full year or let them finish the year and hire somebody else, you're not stuck with those severance fees. And maybe you can go on another year or another two years. And managers want that stability, but I think it's up for negotiation at that point in time. And you can decide where things go. And to add to that, I think on Tuchel's side, giving him an 18-month contract keeps him hungry and keeps him you know, wanting to get that longer-term contract so that he knows if for some reason something goes wrong with Chelsea, I'm going to be paid out for the next three, four years versus... It's just an 18-month contract, and, and if something goes wrong, then that financial kind of... Not that he needs that, or not that he's trying to get fired, but you always know that I'm, I'm trying to impress the board and the owner, and I only have 18 months to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's any question about that. Absolutely. So let's move on. He joined the club on, on Tuesday, the 26th. He had an hour-long training session. Right off the plane, he came to Cobham and, and met the players and, and did an hour-long training session. And in the videos that came out, we could see that he was, you know, intense. He was very passionate about what he wanted to do. And, and the players that were involved were, were putting in their 100% as we expected. And, and that moved on to the game the next day against Wolves. So, Jackie, why don't you tell us about the starting eleven? Yeah, absolutely. That actually took me for a full 180 because I personally was struggling to kind of figure out what we were playing. We heard a lot of rumors about things. We actually heard a lot of rumors about one name in particular. I'll cover him in just a second. But from the looks of things, he put out a different formation in that it was 3-4-2-1. Something very, very different to anything we've played in probably the last three or four seasons, maybe even longer. But of course, Mendy and goal. I think even with his short time, he's realizing Kepa is struggling still. There has to be something done on that front, but we won't get too deep into that. Cesar Aspilicueta comes back into the starting lineup, but this time in a three, which arguably he's had some amazing performances in the right of a three center back pairing or three defensive line pairing. Thiago Silva maintains the central position there. Antonio Rudiger, and I, and I say his name in such a way because I want to get your thoughts right after we review this particular starting lineup. And then the four that in front of that is Jorginho and Kovacic playing that pivot, traditional pivot. On the left, Ben Chilwell plays as a wingback. On the right, Callum Hudson-Odoi making his first ever start as a right wingback, not playing up front forward, a wingback, which... We've heard the story with Antonio Conte and Victor Moses before, and that was a partnership made in heaven. So look out for that one. 
The two that were playing right above the four were Hakim Ziyech and Kai Havertz, which is the German connection right there. And then good old Oli up top playing the center forward position. So decent lineup, very strong, leaning towards experience. But wanted to talk about a couple of players here, and I'm going to bring you into this right here, is let's talk about Rudiger for a minute. Because even before Tuchel made his appearance, I had asked you a question if this is the resurgence of Rudiger or was it just rotation? What are your thoughts now? My thoughts are, and, and then before I give you my thoughts, I have to give you credit that in our last episode, there was a lot being reported at that time when we did the episode about Rudiger and, and player unrest and, and the experienced players talking down to the, the young boys. And I really wanted to comment on that, but you said, no, it's rumors, let's not get into it. And I, I appreciate that. I thank you because since then, We've seen the squad come out and defend some of these reports and, and actually put to bed the fact that anything was going on. So um, very good of the squad. And, and thank you again, Jackie, for holding me back in my in my passionate moment. And coming to Rudiger, I think this was always in the works, even under Lampard. I think he was told that you've got to play Rudiger and get him match fit because the board knew that they were bringing in Tuchel and Tuchel and Rudiger know each other and have worked together uh, in the past, so he's going to feature in our squad and, and going to be a, a, a player that I think that Tuchel builds the defense around. And he was he played okay. He's he did fine. Um, he is putting on a Chelsea shirt, and so I will support him until he doesn't do that anymore. And wish him the best and hope that he puts in the good performances. Yeah, I think like you said, I don't think he was bad. I don't think he was amazing, so I'm not going to sit here and sing his praises, but every player deserves a chance. Like you said, he's pulling on a Chelsea shirt. He did okay. It remains to be seen if he's going to continue with Rudiger because Zuma can play in a three as well, and Zuma has been, for the most part, pretty good on the Frank, so we'll watch and see. And before we move on to the next player, I will say that Tuchel did say one thing. He chose senior players because he knows what they can do. And in the simplest form, it means I've seen them on TV. I know how they play. I've tried to recruit some of these players. Example, Conte. Of course, Conte didn't play. So I can rely on them given that I only had one hour with this team. But he did follow up and say, I do see some excitement in these young players. Notably Mount. And the next one, hudson Adoy. So what are your thoughts on hudson Adoy playing at wingback? He was brilliant. I mean, he's taken this change in his stride. He's taken this change in his position in his stride. And he was brilliant, threatening all night, working hard on the flank up and down. And and I think he realizes that he has a, a very good opportunity to stake a claim in the in the first eleven, which under Lampard he was in and out a little bit, definitely putting in the performances, but consistently wasn't playing. And I think he's out of the eleven that featured on Wednesday night, he's definitely put in his name for a starting spot on, on Sunday against Burnley. So I want to make one last comment before I allow you to take us through the game. And it is about Pulisic. So Pulisic did not start the game. And just like I stated that he chose senior players because he knows what they can do. He actually chose to bench Pulisic because he said, I know you. I've played with you before. I know what you can offer off the bench if we're struggling. So I'm going to go with players I don't know much about so I can study them and understand them. But show me what you can do and come off the bench. And he did come off the bench, and I think he did pretty well, actually, in that game. 
he did and and he was given the time like he was promised and he did well and and the most important thing for me was at halftime you may not have seen this there was a little interaction between Pulisic and Tuchel in a very friend, friendly casual way which told me that even though Pulisic was benched after starting the last four or five games he was okay with it he knows this is a longer term project he knows this is just one game in, in Tuchel's era and he was okay with it and he even joked I think it was Tuchel saying Aspie the wrong way and so they, you see the relationship they share and, and I think he's going to flourish under Tuchel I did see it and I was actually going to touch on that exact comment that he said Pulisic was teaching me how to pronounce Aspilicueta so interesting to see they're joking and having a good time on the first day so I'm hopeful for that relationship and for every other relationship that will nurture through this team but at this point why don't you take us through some of the gameplay because i know we had a lot of the ball we did we dominated possession like we have been for the last few weeks but to get started it was like you said a, a three four two one and we started off very sharp with our pressing flexible and fluid with our passing and our movement it was almost like a, a new Chelsea, which was expected under a new manager and the, and the players trying to impress. But we looked good for the first 30, 35 minutes. And, and like I said, Hudson Adoy putting in tasty crosses and, and, and creating chances. And we should have scored from one of them very early in the first half. But he flourished in that role. And I think he continues to, to keep his spot. But there was a clear indication of trying to play in Hudson Adoy and Chilwell on either flank. Uh, every time the ball came into Ziyech and Havertz, who were usually trying to find these runs of of the of Cho and, and Chowell in behind uh, the defenders. And that was exciting to see because even though it was still crossing similar to what we'd been doing in the past, it was it looked a little more threatening to me. It wasn't just let's just play it out wide and, and then cross it in and see what happens. It seemed to be some thought process. Um, and so I was excited by that. And, and it was even good to see that when... Ziyech and, and Havertz went wide. Chilwell and, Chilwell and Hudson Odoi knew we've got to come in because we always need that white outlet. So we stretched the field and made it wide, which is, which is great because we have some very good wingers. So my only criticism of this particular design and style of the wingers is it was beautiful to watch, first of all. I need to say that. But as we pump in these wonderful crosses, we really only aren't aiming for Olivier Giroud at this point in time. So I feel like we're short and maybe Kai is pretty tall. I think he needs to make more runs and maybe that will come with time and confidence into the box. In fact, he had a lovely header later in the game. You'll cover that. But it's one of those things where they need to kind of be a little bit smarter. Of course, do the width. Of course, stretch the back four, but maybe not do a high cross, maybe cut it back and look for Kai and Ziyech running into the middle. But definitely agree with you on many, many points there. It's something different. It's something unique. It's something we were talking about where maybe opposition clubs have started to figure out how we play. So it was, it was obvious to see that we had the upper hand on Wolves. We just couldn't get that clinical goal in the first half. We couldn't. And throughout the game, we, we looked more threatening, more organized, more willing to attack versus Wolves who were sitting deep, sitting compact. And uh, to a point, I, I see why they did that. They've been going through rough form, and, and they had absolutely no idea what was going to come out from Chelsea's side. So they they resorted to keeping it tight and, and trying to get a point, which they did. And, and they almost got a few goals on the other side by, you know, nicking it on, on with their counterattack. 
and and Mendy didn't help his case, but we've covered that in his ability to maybe panic and not play it out properly. Um, but you're right, we we should have scored, and and I think Kai played a little further forward than he had in the last few games under Lampard. So that was encouraging to see. And I think with time and with more training sessions, he will be driving into that box and and getting goals and assists. So I apologize because I want to jump directly into the second half and and later into the second half for one name. And a lot of people hate that I always call this name out. You always call this name out. But around the 80th minute, he chose to bring on a young, talented Mason Mount. And my gosh, what a difference he made in the 10 minutes that he was on the pitch versus some other players. I'm not going to single out anybody because overall I think we were good. But in the 10 minutes that he played, we looked alive, we looked vibrant, we looked even more threatening so, but in a different format, almost penetrating right through the middle, which is what I was covering earlier, is we can't keep crossing and hoping Giroud alone is going to do this. We need something different, and Mason just gave us that. So, jumping off of that, is there a problem or a threat for Kai? Because if this is the formation, and and he could change this, of course. He only had one game to kind of go through this. But is there a threat for Kai in that Tuchel may sit down and watch and be like, Lampard was on to something here. Mason Mount is a player. It's a threat for Kai and Z. It's just going off of who played and started the first game, I think it's it's definitely a, a a threat for them. And like you said, Mason showed his quality and in, in, in his ability to be threatening in that final third. And even though the goal didn't come, he brought that energy. He brought that next level of, we're going to try and get this goal here. And the only little criticism I have of him, and it's very, very picky, is he's got to clear the first man on those corners. Uh, but that will come, and... I, and and that's very picky, like I said, of me. But like you said, he was very good. And, and I think he took it in his stride that he was dropped because he had been starting every game. He was just a captain. And and for a young player to be dropped, even though it's a change in management, maybe discouraging could affect you negatively mentally. But none of that happened. And, and he's taken it in his stride and, and wants to prove to Tuchel now that I am deserving of, of, of starting. I think you're right. He didn't miss a beat. As soon as he came on, he was into the game, into the flow, figured out where his position was, and really contributed. Now, on the flip side, I do need to bring up a sore subject, because this one really frustrated me throughout the game. And I don't know what Tuchel thinks, but I do know, I do want to know what you think, and that is Jorginho. Because a lot has been said about this player. People, Not all people, because he's definitely been the subject of some abuse from Chelsea fans, but high-level managers, because Pep has praised him, Lamps has praised him in the past for his experience. Tuchel said they've, you know, interested in him in the past. Sari loved him to death. What did you make of Jorginho? Because I'm going to hold back on my comments here for a minute. This is a trick question, but I will try to answer it in the the best way possible without being negative. So Jorginho and Kovacic... Playing together in midfield brought back memories of Sari and, and the the passing back and forth and, and controlling possession. But that's exactly what Tuchel wanted to do was he wanted those two to be the outlets for, for passing into the middle and then distributing it out wide or, or you know back to the center backs. And to that point, they did that very well. 
I don't think Jorginho is ever going to be that player that drives with the ball and, and, and does it like Kovacic does. So when Conte is fit, I think, and I may be wrong, it's going to be a, a double pivot of Conte and Kovacic. And, and Jorginho would miss out. But if Jorginho starts playing this ball a little faster, tries looking for that final ball in behind the defense... He could be dangerous. I think he just prefers to to play those short passes and keep it simple, which sometimes frustrates you and I and, and some of the other fans because we want to see a little more creativity and industry from from a creative midfielder, which is what he is. You're so diplomatic. I love it. That's really nice of you to say these things. I'll let unleash my comments at this point. I'm not going to be very, very critical, but... I thought he was the poorest player on the pitch for us on the 11, even the players that came off the bench, because in the position he's he's in, which is that pivot to protect the back four, defensively, he offered nothing. I'm going to be very, very blunt here. Players were able to go by him. He couldn't make good tackles. So, okay, you're not our defensive midfielder. You're going to be our creative midfielder. Right, left, right, left, short pass. What are you truly offering to this team? And I know in a slower league, in a different league, Napoli, where he came from, he is what they call the regista, which controls the tempo of the game. This is the Premier League. You don't control the tempo of the game unless you boss it. And physically, he doesn't boss a game. I'm very worried because we paid a lot of money for him. He's struggled under Sari. They said, give him time. Lampard picked him, didn't pick him, picked him, didn't pick him. So he couldn't figure out what to do with him. He's now turning 29, I believe. Unless Tuchel really, really loves him or figures out what to do with him, I'm wondering what Chelsea are going to do long term. I'm not telling you and I'm not telling our listeners he's a horrible player. I'm just wondering on the scale of Billy Gilmore, on the scale of Ruben Loftus-Cheek to come back, Barkley to come back. Yes, they don't play the same position. We are flooded in the midfield, and what does he bring that some of these other... Mount played the pivot the other day, by the way, and did a wonderful job. So I'm sitting here scratching my head wondering, and I'm not a manager, guys. I'm saying I'm not a manager, but it's a very, very frustrating player to have in your team. It's almost, if you think about Cesc Fabregas, who was slower, not, not the most defensive, but played in the pivot, and my gosh, could he pick out a pass? And I know Jorginho can do it, but how often? In a game, once, twice? It's not enough. It's just not enough from him. That That is what Tuchel will have to unlock. And, and, and you're right. Neither of us are managers. We just watch the game and, and support our team and, and sometimes have some good insights. But um, you're right. I think with Jorginho, defensively, we know once the team's attacking us and, and going to counter, he's going to be eliminated within seconds because they'll just brush by him. I do have to give him credit that he doesn't stop trying in that he will make it back into into defense and, and try to, you know, influence the play. And with a back three, if that is what we'll be doing, and, and Tuchel prefers to have a back three at least when we're attacking, I think Jorginho gets covered a little bit because there's there is a center back that may come in and step up to try to stop the attack or a Conte that would clean up for all his teammates and, and pass the ball and, and smile and be happy. So 
I think if Tuchel's able to unlock that that vision that he has, I think Jorginho has it. We saw it against Watford last season when he played that first-time ball to Tammy. He has it. I think we've just got to unlock it and, and play to that advantage that, Jorginho, when you get it, just know Kai is going to be making a run or, or Timo is going to be making a run when he's back because he's got the pace. And play it to them. Don't try to just knock it back to Kovacic, which frustrates you, me, and I'm sure it frustrates managers at, at certain points. I will be cautiously optimistic, given your analysis. It will just take some time for me to come on board. But if Tuchel can unlock that vision, which I do agree with you, I think he has. Maybe it's just giving him the freedom or the confidence to say, go ahead and do it. Don't just play the short ball. Go ahead and do it because we need some opportunity. We need some goals to unlock certain tight defense, just as, just like Wolves were. It can't be playing it wide and hoping for the cross. That ball over, and let's see what happens. Absolutely. And and the next few games are against teams that are going to sit tight, sit defensive. So we've got to figure out a way of unlocking them in, in, in getting the best out of our, our attacking squad. So I think overall the nil-nil was fair. We should have nicked it 1-0 right at the end with Kai Havertz's header that was cleared by a defender who had no idea the ball was coming to him. But that it is what it is, and, and the game ends in a draw, and that's Tuchel's first game as Chelsea manager ending with a point, which is the first time, a, a second time a Chelsea manager, permanent Chelsea manager, has, has gotten a draw in his home in his home opener, and the first person was Frank Lampard. <laughs> you can't make this up. I think you're trying to bait me over there. No, it was okay. It's of course he only had one hour with the team. I didn't see so much change yet. Yes, the formation changed, but overall we usually kept possession and all that. So nothing major changes, but I'm not here to criticize him. I don't think I've criticized him once yet. I think we just got to give him a little bit of time and see where things kind of flow from here. I agree with you, and, and I think it would be wrong of us to criticize him, and, and it would send the wrong message to our listeners and, and people that may be on the fence about him um, and and still hurting from Lampard's departure. So, guys, stay positive. It will get better. It has to get better. We are Chelsea, and we always find a way around it and, and believe in Tuchel and, and what he does, and, and I'm sure he will start finding wins with hopefully this with, with this weekend. Yeah, and just one final note before we move on out out of the Chelsea discussion, the Tuchel discussion, is he was actually asked that same question, and I asked that same question on the previous episode, was, will there be a fan backlash? I don't know if you heard this, any of the fans listening out there, and he answered it very, very, very eloquently, is, I hope not, because a lot of this is not my fault. And Rahul, you and I sat here and criticized the board, which... As fans, I think we we have the right to do so because of the passion and the love we had for Frank. But this isn't Tuchel's fault. It was very clear that the board were going to do whatever the hell they wanted to do anyway. So let's go forward. Let's see what happens. Again, he's here for 18 months at the minimum. And we saw some positive signs as far as communication, as far as what he's going to do with youth, because he didn't say he's going to rule them out. And we can make the decision in 18 months. And from there, we move on. So I think let's be patient. Let's be positive. There are a few more games to come. We will keep reviewing them like we do on every episode. We'll keep you guys posted. And you let us know if you have feedback on Tuchel, 
If you're uh, you know, a big fan of him, let us know. If you don't like him, let us know. And we'll see what we can do to be, bring you more analysis and heartfelt analysis that we have for you guys. That's a good way to wrap up our discussion on the men's team and, and wishing them all the best for the Burnley game, which we will touch on later on in our uh, Premier League preview of the weekend. So let's move on to some of the other games that took place uh, over the last few days. And we predicted a win for Chelsea. Both of us did. That didn't happen. So we got our predictions wrong there. Uh, Everton-Leicester, the final result was 1-1. You went for a 2-0 Leicester uh, Everton win, I'm sorry. And I predicted a 1-1, so I got that right. Brighton-Fulham was 0-0, no goals at all. And, and we both predicted um, wins for Fulham, so that didn't happen. This one was a shocker. And and I know there were some dodgy decisions and, and some some issues with VAR, but... Manchester United losing 2-1 at home to Sheffield United, who are the worst team in the history of the Premier League. Raul, I have no words. I have no words to describe this because I predicted this being 3-0 in Manchester United. I mean, on paper, on form, Everything points to this is an easy Manchester United win. Yes, there's some controversial decisions. I, I don't know what to say about those. Okay, there's some VAR decisions, fine. But at the end of the day, you take your chances and you put them away and you defend well against a team that's smack bottom. And when I say smack bottom, I mean significantly bottom of the Premier League. I don't I really don't know. I'm I'm at a loss of words of how to describe what happened. And the only thing as I soul search here is this is the Premier League. <laughs> anybody can beat anybody. We've seen that. I've said that. But I really don't have any other words to describe this game. It's 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 a shocker. It really is. It's a shocker in the result, but it's it's a huge wake up call for Manchester United who've been flying and and doing very well recently. But for their players and and for everyone involved, I think this is a moment where they say, well, hold on, everything's been going well, but we've got to show up for every game. We can't just decide to show up, not show up against the bottom team because, like you said, this is a Premier League. Anyone can beat anyone. So uh, in, their, in their quest for the title, this was a kind of a big blow because Man City now sit top with the game in hand. And and they're flying eleven consecutive wins and in, in a thumping of West Brom most recently. So, if Manchester United want to keep the pressure on, I think they've got to start winning games like the ones against Sheffield. But again, dodgy decisions and all that we understand. But do your part, and and those decisions won't come into play. Yeah, and I, and I hope or I wonder if this is just a blip because, like I said, anybody can beat anybody. And maybe Manchester United will go back to winning ways. But I must say, Manchester City also still have a game in hand. They sit top of the table. And this win, if they do win that game in hand, will actually open up some daylight, which at this point in the season, yes, I was talking about yeah, we're all tight. But when you get to this point in the season, four points at the top of the league is four points at the top of the league. It makes it very, very difficult to catch up. It does, and, and we're seeing that with our our team as well, which is trying to close in on on the top four, uh, top four. So, 
I hope Manchester United can win against Arsenal because that will help us, uh, or um, you know, create some distance if we do our business. But let's move on to the big game, and that was the game between Tottenham Hotspurs and Liverpool. And you predicted it, a Liverpool win. I was a little more hopeful that Tottenham were going to get it, but it ended three-one to Liverpool. And wow, it was. Liverpool winning their first game since December 27th, scoring uh, a goal from open play in 430-something minutes. So they found the right time to get it done. Absolutely, because I think what happens is when you play a team like Tottenham and a manager like Jose Mourinho, everybody starts to kind of wake up. Almost like it's time, we deserve this, we know who we are. And credit to Liverpool, they played with Jordan Henderson in centre-back if I'm not mistaken. They did, yeah. And and they then subbed off Matip at halftime and brought in uh, the youngster, Williams. So, you know, even with their issues at centre-back and, and along the team, they're finding results. And, and I know, again, it was their first win in a while, but to do it against Spurs and, and their threatening attack, kudos to them. Yeah, and they sit now fourth, obviously, in the Premier League, which is getting to a really, really exciting moment right now as we get closer because I think it's getting very, very tight at the top and you're slowly seeing a top four that's breaking away from everybody else. So for clubs like us, Chelsea, for clubs like Arsenal, clubs like Everton who are pushing for that top four, now is really the time not, I repeat, not to slip up because this is the point of the season where you see the top teams kind of split away from that middle tier and that middle tier split away from the relegation battle. So I'm worried, but I'm also hopeful. So we're going to have to watch and wait and see how this game plays out. Yeah, we will. And I think that's a good transition to just doing a quick preview for this upcoming weekend. So we play Burnley on Sunday morning and I'm sure Tuchel's going to change it up because he's now had a few days to, to train and, and get to know the squad. So do you think he plays the same formation or, or is it going to be a switch up? Do we go to a back four? You know, Conte comes back in, I think. But apart from that. Yeah, it's honestly very tough because he chose his team based on the hour. Now, they performed decently. So at the very least, I think he's going to stick with the same formation to give them another run out at that style of football or that tactic of football to see how things shape up. So, obviously, you're not going to change your goalkeeper. We've already discussed this over multiple, multiple episodes. Mendy's going to retain his place. I think the same back three keep their formation of Aspilicueta, Silva, Rudiger. If we kick off from this game and do well, I think you're going to see them as the prominent back three. Maybe Zuma can stake a claim or push Rudiger. Maybe. I don't know, but there's a German connection there. You never want to count that out. The midfield or the foreign midfield is really where it gets interesting. Chilwell looked a little bit off. I'm not saying he was horrible by any means. He also did get substituted. Maybe there's room for Pulisic to play wing back, which is weird to say that way, but you never know. But I really want to talk about the midfield with you as far as the pivot goes. If Conte comes back in, does he pair with Jorginho Kovacic or somebody else? I think it's Kovacic, and, and those two kind of complement each other in that Conte can be box-to-box box and so can Kovacic. And, and that would be good because we will need someone making a deeper run against Burnley 
than than our attacking uh, players. So I think those two would be my choice. But if Conte is still not a hundred percent, then I think he goes with Jorginho and Kovacic. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And then, of course, at right wing back, I think Hudson Odoi performed so well. In fact, I think he was the man of the match for everybody who watched the game. That he has to continue. He does. He, like I said, he staked his claim on Wednesday night, and it would be very wrong to drop him. So he definitely needs to start. Yeah, for now, I'm going to stay with Ben Chilwell at left back or left wing back. I apologize. Maybe that might change, but we'll see for now. The two that are behind the striker. What are your thoughts? Because I honestly am at a loss. It's an interesting position, but I think Mount needs to be playing one of those positions. He's in form. He's he's doing well. He's a player that you know gives it his all and and will help out on either side, even if it's not required for him to come back completely as a, as as an, in a defending position. So I think he needs to start, and for me, it would be Ziyech, because Burnley are going to sit deep. And so we need that option of his left foot kind of finding the ball in behind or, or playing it across the field to Chilwell or Pulisic or whoever plays on that side. Yeah, my only concern with that is Tuchel has stated that he's looking for a position for Werner in the fact that Werner needs to play on the left behind the striker. Given this formation, that left second pocket might fit Warner perfectly, I really have no clue. So I, I think it makes sense that Mount plays. I agree with you. I don't think anybody else should take that position except him, but it remains to be seen. And and for me, maybe Warner gets to slide in into that position because with Burnley sitting deep, he might get some opportunities to run in behind. But now to the center forward position. Does Giroud continue? Does he bring in Tammy? Maybe he slides in Werner. Thoughts? I think Giroud continues, and and that's because Burnley are, are a tough physical side in in defense, and I think he's going to rely on on Giroud, who has that experience of playing and and being the link between our attacking players. So I think it's Giroud. But if Tammy comes in, then he's done a, a decent job of of scoring and being that link. So either or, I'd be okay with. Yeah, and to touch on Burnley, honestly, they are doing pretty well for somebody who's sitting in 15th place in the Premier League. I'll run through their form very, very quickly. They won against Sheffield United 1-0, and then they went on to two losses, which, to be very honest with you guys, it's pretty respectable. They lost 1-0 to Manchester United, and then 1-0 to West Ham United, who are second in the league and fifth in the league. West Ham United, we need to talk about them another time, but wow. And their last two games... They beat and broke Liverpool's home run with a 1-0 win. And now they come off a 3-2 win against Aston Villa. So for anyone thinking it's 15th place Burnley, this is going to be an easy game. I don't know. It's going to be a tough game. Rahul, give me a prediction. Tough game indeed. And and I think if we didn't have a new manager in, in, in a different style of playing... This would have ended maybe in a draw, but I think Tuchel's hungry and the squad's hungry to get this first win. So we win it 3-1. You can sense the doubt in my in my prediction, but I think we win it. That's my that's where I'm going. Not only doubt, but some optimism there with three goals. Wow. No, honestly, I would love to see us score a couple of goals against Burnley. 
maybe 2-0 from my perspective. And I just want to see us keep clean sheets and continue down that path. I think keeping clean sheets is the pathway to moving towards the top four. The clean sheets also help your fantasy team. So That is true, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> For those that don't know, Jackie now holds three of Chelsea's center backs in his fantasy team. I must say, I'm slowly egging my way to the top of the Fantasy Premier League with wins off of defenders only because my forward line is not doing that great. But that's a story for another day. Shall we move on to one of my favorite segments, the blast from the past? And Rahul, I would love for you to go first in this one and tell us who you've picked this week. Yeah, my favorite segment too. And, and I picked this player based off of our most recent Instagram post. Uh, and I think this is a good point to thank our Instagram followers. We've now reached 400, which for Jackie and I, we've just been doing this for a, a few months. And, and to be at 400 followers and having uh, people listen to us is very, very good and, and feels good. And, and we appreciate the support. So my blast from the past is Nicholas Anelka. And he is a French international and, and a well-traveled man and, and played for Chelsea. So I'm so excited you've picked a Chelsea boy through and through. Well, I you, you didn't let me finish. He's played for <laughs> Chelsea, but he's also played for these clubs. So PSG, Arsenal, Real Madrid, Liverpool, Man City, Juventus, Mumbai City FC, Bolton Wanderers, and obviously Chelsea. And I've still, in this list, kept a few out. <laughs> All right, you've picked a successful Chelsea boy through and through. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's he's well-traveled and, and very successful. So let me jump jump into it. And in order to not give you a, a long history and of everything that he's done, I'll start with his time and his move to Bolton for club record of £8 million in 2006. And, and I know this is a blast from the past player segment but Bolton are a blast from the past club that were, were a, a mainstay in the Premier League about 10-15 years ago uh, so he made a 53 appearances for Bolton scoring 21 goals and in January of 2008 signed for Chelsea for 15 million pounds he scored his first Chelsea goals for he scored his first goals for Chelsea I'm sorry in an FA Cup tie against Wigan and then his first Premier League goal against Portsmouth he also featured in the team that made it to the Champions League final that season in 2008. And I know this is a touchy subject for us, Jackie, but he did miss the crucial penalty that gave the title to that other team in Manchester. In the following season, with Drogba out with injury, Anelka played as the main striker and actually finished that season as the top goal scorer in the Premier League, which earned him the golden boot. The following season under Carlo Ancelotti, he played more on the wing since Drogba was back. And, and you may remember Drogba was absolutely firing that season. So Anelka was moved to the wing and, and he continued to do the job and, and, and won the Premier League title and FA Cup with Chelsea that season. He stayed at Chelsea for an additional two seasons. And under AVB, Andre Villas-Boas... Uh, was sold in January of 2012. AVB kind of had a thing against the the experienced players. Uh, and so Anelka was one of them to leave Chelsea and he moved to China 
in January 2012. He finished his Chelsea career with 125 appearances, 38 goals, and won one Premier League title and two FA Cups. Uh, he moved to China, then moved back to Juventus, then West Brom, and finally ended up in India and played for and managed Mumbai City FC. So in his 19-year career, he made a total of 508 appearances, scoring 157 goals. Take a bow, Nicholas Anelka. Personally, one of my favorite players ever to pull on the shirt. Yes, I know he's played for a whole host of clubs, but he came to us in a difficult time. And when one of our best strikers ever was out injured and really, really took over that torch and exciting to watch him. I loved him as a player. It didn't go well towards the end, but I will always remember him for the amount of goals and the contribution he brought to this team. And, you know, sticking with strikers, I do have to give you a little bit of a run up for a good striker that we've had in the past. And I had to go a little bit deeper into the archives for this one. And that was Tor Andre Flo. So Tor Andre Flo was a Norwegian international that signed for Chelsea in the summer of 1997. He came in from a local Norwegian club called Bran. I hope I'm saying that right for any Norwegian listeners for 300,000 pounds, which in this day and age isn't a lot. But in 1997, there was a decent amount of money for that player coming from no disrespect to Norway, but some of those countries didn't have players that many people knew much about. So Chelsea really wanted to get him. He was successful there. He started his career actually pretty well with us in his first season, scoring 15 goals, including a hat-trick in a 6-1 thumping of Tottenham Hotspur. So if you ever wanted to know the definition of the word instant legend, this might be it right here. He also was our top goal scorer in the 99-2000 season with 19 goals, helping us lift the FA Cup and reach the Champions League in the quarterfinals, where he scored twice in a 3-1 win against Barcelona. Now we ended up losing that game, but Again, just adding to that instant legend status right there, because we all know the history with Barcelona and Chelsea. Going into the 2000-2001 season, Chelsea signed two, I'm going to drop some names here again, two amazing strikers in Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank and Eider Gudjonsson. And really, he found chances hard to come by as a starter. He made a total of 163 appearances for Chelsea, scoring 50 goals, 70, 70 of those coming off the bench. He was sold in the transfer window, the winter transfer window of 2000 for 12 million pounds. And for those of you going, oh, 12 million pounds, that's nothing. It was 12 million pounds to Rangers, which was the highest fee paid in Scotland for any player. That record still holds till today, making the most expensive Norwegian transfer. So that covers a lot about Tor. Andre Floor. That was a great blast from the past, and and I remember watching some of the games, and and you know I was like, who's this tall, lanky striker? And he was he was very good. And I actually recently saw him at a, a Premier League fan fest in Boston, and he's actually a, a club ambassador and travels for Chelsea around the world. So he's still connected, and and I hope uh, he stays that way for a long, long time. Absolutely, my friend. Absolutely. So, Jackie, that covers it, episode 22, and, and 
Uh, it's been fun. We've discussed the women's team. We've discussed Tuchel and, and his uh, new changes that he's bringing to Chelsea. So I'm excited for the future, and, and I'm feeling pretty good. Um, and I hope our listeners are too. But in the meantime, keep listening, subscribe, follow, and, and we'll be back next week with a, a review of the weekend and a preview of the next week because these games just keep coming. Um, and so if you don't already follow us on Twitter and Instagram, please do so. Once again, thank you for the 400 followers on Instagram and, and join us on Twitter as well. It's at the Premier Chels. And until then, we'll keep posting, keep engaging, and, and we'll be back next week. Thank you, guys.